Hello there, and a very warm welcome to episode eight of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. Of course, it's a Friday, which means this is a preview episode. Uh, we'll be looking forward uh, to a bunch of games on the weekend. But as ever, uh, we've also got a few games from midweek to wrap up. Uh, we just had deadline day a couple of days ago, so there's absolute tons of transfers for us to go through. And on top of all that, we've got a special guest coming on uh, to discuss Melbourne victory. But uh, alongside me for this one, uh, for all the other stuff, we've got Rafael Adelukba. How are you doing, Rafael? I'm doing good, Neil. Um, yeah, it's been quite a long week. Uh, Tuesday was an incredibly long day with yeah. all the chances. But yeah, I'm excited for the weekend of football. Yep. Uh, well, as, as you said, transfer deadline, it was absolutely insane. Uh, and, and we've also got Ben, who had, had some other uh, things to look out for apart from deadline day. Yeah, doing well now. Uh, it seems to be on the, the new Friday guy, right? So <laughs> looking forward to the weekend of football and a couple couple of fun games and obviously tons of transfers just to, to talk about. Hashtag Friday guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, so uh, let's get started. Uh, of course, as ever, first we'll have the chat on Melbourne victory uh, and then we'll move on to all the other stuff. Alright, uh, as promised, we are going to be covering Melbourne victory first uh, and in order to do that, uh, we've got a special guest on. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Tom Williams to the podcast. How are you doing, Tom? Very well, thank you. It's fantastic to be on here. I really appreciate the invite and I'm a massive fan of football, both in Australia and across the world, so I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, we're delighted to have you on. Uh, when I reached out to Tom earlier in this week, uh, Melbourne victory had lost five of their last six games, uh, were winless uh, in those six and effectively seven because prior to that, they had a Melbourne derby, which was abandoned, which we'll speak about. Uh, but but I, think, I think we scheduled uh, our recording very well because uh, just about half an hour ago, uh, this weekend's match uh, finished 3-1 to Melbourne victory at home uh, to Wellington Phoenix. So they finally got that first win in eight games and just their second since the restart from the World Cup break. And I think the magic number for them in terms of points is four because going into, uh, I think, sorry, uh, just after the World Cup break, after their first match, they were about sixth uh, and just four points off the team in second, who I believe were uh, Western Sydney Wanderers at the time. And now today, uh, well, before today, uh, four, if you added four points to their tally, they would remain at the bottom of the table because there were five points adrift uh, from the side in 11th as well. But after their win today, they are just within four points off the team in sixth place. And of course, uh, in the A-League, uh, it is the top six who qualify for the playoffs and have a shot at the title, really. So, uh, you know, things are very tight and their season uh, could go either way. But of course, right now, uh, they are last. And we'll come on, on to all of that uh, and victory in a bit, but let me just quickly touch on some news uh, in Australian football in general, because of course, like TLR right now, but, but they don't really risk relegation or anything because there's no relegation or promotion from the A-League. But that might be changing because uh, I think it was just this morning that uh, I saw a tweet about, uh, you know, more concrete plans for the national second division. So, so could you just tell us a bit more about that, Tom? Yeah, it's a really interesting concept because... Since the A-League was created, it's been run as a sort of closed shop competition. So what I mean by that is that there's a set number of franchises that exist within the A-League and there's no promotion or relegation into a bottom tier and there's no teams getting promoted up. It's the same uh, 10 to 12 teams per season as it's been sort of throughout the, the running of the competition. Earlier in the competition, it was less teams than 10. Now there's 12, though, um, because we had Western United and MacArthur join the league a couple of seasons ago. But 
this decision to uh, to open the interest the expressions of interest towards national second division teams it's a massive step forward in australian football because one of the biggest problems with having only 12 professional teams in this country is that non or not enough of our young players get opportunities to play at a professional level so what this means is if there's players that aren't quite getting an opportunity at A-League level. They have to go play in the MPL. And a lot of these MPL players or, or A-League clubs playing in the MPL, National Premier Leagues, which is sort of like the league below the A-League, they're playing in the second or third division of the MPL. For example, Melbourne Victory's MPL team, they're in MPL 3. So it's A-League, MPL, MPL 2, MPL 3. So imagine you're someone like Nishan Valupale, for example, started for Melbourne Victory tonight. Sometimes he would have to go play MPL three instead of having to play in the A-League. That's if he doesn't make the A-League squad. For players like him, the national second division is really important because it allows him a different avenue to go into professional football. So for example, even if Melbourne Victory weren't willing to give him the minutes um, required to play senior football, he could then go on loan to a national second division club forge his career there, get valuable minutes, which is really important for developing a player's career. And I think that's one of the big issues that is facing Australian football. And then the other thing is there's a massive divide in terms of A-League fans and fans of clubs in the MPL. So hopefully that'll sort of take a step to unite the game in this country and allow MPL fans to get around professional football, get around the A-League and then also embrace the fact that there's a chance that their team might qualify to be promoted into the A-League at some point. Obviously, the National Second Division plans at this stage for the, um, for the primary years of it aren't going to include promotion or relegation, but it's an aim to sort of achieve that into the future. And I think it's a really important step that Australian football should take. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Of course, there's lots of stuff going on in Australian football, uh, which we will uh, touch on in a bit, but let's talk Melbourne victory first. So before, before we get into this season, uh, could you just give us a little bit of uh, context about uh, Melbourne victory's history, uh, their place in, you know, Australian football as a general, and also uh, more specifically in like Melbourne or perhaps Victorian football, because at least from like what I can see based on like the spread of clubs, it seems that Victoria is the sort of hub uh, for football in Australia. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you should say that because, we recently had this decision to move all the grand finals to Sydney. So the APL, the, the governing body of this of the A-League and the professional leagues in Australia, including the W League, and um, hopefully a youth league will be, um, will be re, redone very soon after it was sort of cancelled uh, due to COVID. Um, they govern the three leagues, right? And they decided to sell the grand final to Sydney for the next three seasons. And I personally thought it was a bit surprising because a lot of people um, see Sydney as sort of the hub for football in this country um, because that's where the APL is based. That's where Football Australia is based. That's where a lot of the big national team games are based. Like, for example, when Australia played against Japan in a really do or die um, World Cup qualifying match, we ended up losing the game 2-1. Oh, sorry, 2-0. Um, Matoma scored two, two goals off the bench for Japan. And that was played at ANZ Stadium in Sydney. Um, but I would personally argue that Melbourne is the hub of football in this country. We saw during the World Cup, the celebrations that occurred at Fed Square. Um, it was almost unprecedented to anything we've seen in Australian football in the past. And Melbourne victory is a very key part of that culture of football in Melbourne. Melbourne victory, I don't think many people would argue that Melbourne victory is the biggest club in the A-League. Um, they've got by far the biggest supporter base out of any other club. They've got really passionate fans that um, provide active support, sing a lot, have the drums, have the chanting. It's, it's a really European style of support provided by the Melbourne Victory North End. Uh, they currently are known as Original Style Melbourne. And they provide an, a very unique atmosphere at games. And it's a really interesting sort of ecosystem in Melbourne with football because we have Australian football, which is sort of the, um, the native game of... Um, of Australia. It's Australian rules football. It's a completely different game to the world, the world football. And there's a lot of people in Melbourne that support that sport. It's almost like a Victorian sport uh, where the state where Melbourne is based. Um, but a lot of those fans will still support Melbourne victory and still look at Melbourne victory as results, whether they go to games or not, they'll still 
have some sort of a connection to the club. And I think Melbourne Victory plays a really important role in the Melbourne sporting ecosystem in general to be able to be that massive football club that people can get around and people know is a really big club and can represent Victorians uh, as a whole. Like it's one of the only professional sporting clubs in Victoria, which has the sort of um, colours that Victoria is known by. If you look at the Victorian cricket team, for example, they're blue and white, Melbourne Victory, the Navy blue and white as well. It's, it's, it's a club that's founded on the, on, on the identity of being Victorian. And I think a lot of people identify with that. And I think it's one of the reasons why Melbourne Victory is one of the biggest clubs in the A-League. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, for such a big side, it's, it's quite shocking to see them uh, at the wrong, of, wrong end of the table, of course. But let's, before we move on to this season, let's just quickly get a bit of context from last season. Of course, uh, Victory finished uh, in the playoff spots. Uh, they, they, I thought they were in a good run of form going into the playoffs, and I think many people regarded them as one of the favourites to be able to win it, but I think they fell short uh, in the semi-finals, right? Um, yeah, correct. So, just could you just tell us a bit about uh, last season and, and also maybe what changed over the summer? Because, uh, you know, if, if you look, look at their transfer business, of course, they lost a couple of key players, but I think the, the core of the squad largely remained unchanged. So, it's, it's quite shocking to see them go from finishing in the playoffs to seek to bottom right now. So could you just tell us a bit about what went on there? Yeah, you're hundred percent right. I'll go over last season first. So last season was a really good year for the club. So the season before Tony Popovich came in as manager, the club was on a downward spiral. The, the club had just experienced a terrible season under Marco Kurtz, who replaced Kevin Musket, who went to go manage Yokohama F Marinos in, in the J league. And he just won the J league with Yokohama F Marinos, an Australian coach, somebody who'd played at the top level, somebody who'd won a league crowns with, with Melbourne victory as well. Um, he left Marco Kurtz came in. He didn't get his foreign signings, right? He ended up only lasting half a season, ended up losing his job. Uh, I think in December or January that season, the next season, Grant Brebner came in as the coach of Melbourne victory and Melbourne Victory were in complete disrepair under his under his management. They lost 7-0 and 6-0 to Melbourne City, uh, their, their biggest rivals in the league. It was completely embarrassing. The crowds were down. COVID had ravaged the league, and, and Melbourne Victory just were a shadow of their fallen themselves. And then in comes Tony Popovich, completely overhauls the squad. Not many players from the previous season had survived. He brought in his new philosophy, his new way of doing things, new players, and... It took a while to get started. I mean, the first game of the season was was really good against Brisbane Raw. It was a 3-0 victory at home, but this team sort of stagnated after that. And then they went on a 15-game unbeaten streak towards the end of the season. And one of the big parts of that was Jason Davidson. Jason Davidson is an Australian left back, played for West Bromwich Albion earlier in his career. And he was at the core of everything Melbourne victory did. He was a very attacking left back. So he likes to get forward, but he's really comfortable on the ball, really creative in possession, really good crosser, really good creative passer, likes to get in different positions on the ground. Victory essentially gave him the keys to their attack. They let him get forward as much as he wanted. They gave him so much responsibility and build up and on the ball. Him and Jake Brimmer were the team's creative outlets. And then I guess during the final series, it was a a really sort of freak result. Everyone expected Melbourne victory to go on and win the title last season. Even after Melbourne city were probably the best team in the league throughout the season, there were sort of cracks in how Melbourne city were playing. Whereas victory had gone on that 15 game unbeaten strike. And then Western United just sort of out of nowhere come out with that, that semi-final victory. And they obviously go on to win the grand final courtesy of Alexander Priovic, who was phenomenal in the final, but also phenomenal in the semi-final. And it was a real wake-up call for Melbourne victory. I think it demonstrated that if teams sort of sit back against Tony Popovich's team, then his teams can be susceptible to not being able to open up the other team and not being able to break down a low block. And a lot of the rhetoric surrounding how Tony Popovich coaches is that he's a really defensive coach, relies on transitions. He's the same coach that won the Champions League with Western Sydney Wanderers in 2014 when they played a really, really defensive style of game, but it was solid. They didn't concede many goals. It was resolute. It was disciplined and they scored goals in transition. It was a really similar story with victory last season. So then I think in my opinion, what happened over the off season is that Tony Popovich 
aimed to sort of revolutionize the way that the team played as in that they needed to get better on the ball. They needed to get better at breaking teams down to be able to go one step further and win the championship this season. And I think that's why he signed Lewis Nani. Um, obviously the former Manchester United star who for all, all his, all his name and all of his ports was actually a really good player in the MLS, which is a higher class league than the A league really. So all signs pointed towards him performing really well for Melbourne victory. Um, and he was replacing Marco Rojas, who was a club stalwart, a favorite of the fans. Um, but apart from the first game when Melbourne victory beat Sydney FC three, two away from home, he just didn't really live up to things. And then he did his ACL um, a few weeks ago, which was a terrible thing to happen for Melbourne victory. And it's just been some really, really poor performances one after the other. A lot of the, the things that Tony Popovich was aiming for before the season in terms of revolutionizing the squad, getting them to be able to play against low blocks. It just hasn't worked out. He's been chopping and changing formation most games, changing between a three at the back system and a four at the back system. There's players in the team who just aren't performing anywhere near their standards of last season. You look at the club captain, Josh Berlante, he's been just nowhere near the standards that he showed last season. And even Ray Marchand, who who is currently concussed and is undergoing the league's concussion protocols, even before that concussion, he just wasn't showing the same skill set that he showed last season in terms of his ability to win the ball back, in terms of being able to play progressive passes. It's just, it's almost like watching completely different players. And the team itself just doesn't seem to have much chemistry. It's been a really, really bizarre season for Melbourne Victory because on paper, they were the team that everyone thought would win the title this season. They'd gone 15 games undefeated. They'd had a sort of freak loss to Western United in the finals. They'd added Lewis Nani to their squad. And even though they'd lost Jason Davidson, so many people thought that they'd go one better this season and win the title, but just hasn't eventuated, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, um, th- thanks a lot. I think that's a re- really nice and detailed breakdown of what's gone on. But uh, I, th- I think we should also mention, uh, I mean, honestly, I- I'm not too sure about how much of an impact this this has had on their performances, uh, but of course you you mentioned the uh, A League's final decision, uh, and and of course the controversies surrounding that, and there were lots of protests from uh, fans all over the league, uh, including including the the victory supporters, uh, and around that time they had uh, a Melbourne derby uh, between City and Victory, as you say, the two big rivals in in the city, uh, and of course th- that didn't end well. Uh, the match had to be uh, abandoned and I think City were awarded the win after uh, some uh, victory fans uh, like they basically stormed the pitch uh, and I think threw like a sand bucket uh, at City the City goalkeeper Tom Glover after they tossed flares onto the pitch first while walking out and then uh, maybe he interpreted it as throwing it towards him and then he sent some back to whatever happened basically uh it didn't so so could you just tell us a bit about what exactly went on there and whether you think that impacted victory even further because as i said after that they had that run of five losses from six yeah it was it was a crazy moment i think personally it was one of the darkest moments ever in the history of melbourne victory football club because that that night it was planned that the fans would just walk out of the stadium in protest against the APL's grand final decision, because even all the fans across the league had sort of universally decried the decision. It was, it was, it wasn't liked by anyone, even fans from Sydney, people supporting Sydney FC, people supporting Western Sydney Wanderers didn't like the fact that the grand finals host was determined by, um, was just given to Sydney rather than be determined by their position on the league table or, or, and who makes the grand final as it had been done for the previous few seasons. So I think the sentiment behind the protest, and I think it was completely legitimate that fans can protest against um, decisions like that. They have freedom of choice. They have a freedom to express their opinion. But the problem was that the way that they did it was just absolutely abhorrent. It was, genuinely the worst moment in the history of the football club storming the pitch and attacking and assaulting Tom Glover, the Melbourne city goalkeeper was so bad. It was such a bad look. It was on the front page of the newspapers. It was making scenes worldwide and it it wasn't very good to see at all. So 
do I think that it affected the team's results? I don't think that they were playing very well even before that game. Even during that game, Melbourne City were completely outplaying Melbourne Victory. But I do think that there is something in terms of the off-field stuff that's been going on with Melbourne Victory that surely would hamper the coaches or hamper the players in some way. Maybe instead of playing at 100%, they're playing at 95%. And that 5% makes a real big difference in professional football. So... I personally think it probably would have affected them in some way. It's definitely not an excuse for how poorly the teams performed this season, but that it definitely would not have helped given that they weren't performing to their standards even before that game. Yeah, and could you also just talk us through uh, the, the sanctions that the, the uh, governing bodies place after that? Because I think you, you know they've cordoned off some areas of the stadium and I, I think you mentioned OSM. I think, I think it was Victory who effectively banned them from games. Am I right? Yeah. So it's a really weird one because the wording in the statements is so like subjective. So Melbourne victory said that they were committed to disbanding any active support at the games, which is really bizarre because the club had basically supported OSM with all of the the stuff or with a lot of the stuff that they'd been doing previously. So the fact that they just try to disassociate themselves from OSM so quickly, it was, a little bit bizarre, but then the um, the governing body of football in Australia, Football Australia, they had handed down these sanctions on Melbourne Victory, which totaled fines of up to $450,000, which is a lot of money for an A-League club, considering a lot of these clubs are in debt. Melbourne Victory are in $7 million of debt and they're the biggest club in the league. So these clubs aren't, or a lot of them anyway, are not financially viable. Um so that was a big, big problem for Melbourne Victory. A lot of that will be offset by the fact that Nick D'Agostino, um, the club's starting centre forward, just transferred to Viking in Norway. So they'll get, will be able to recruit some of those funds from that. But regardless, the club's not in a good way financially. And so those sanctions will affect them. And then you even look towards the, the rest of the games this season, they won't be able to get as much money off selling tickets to the games because so many of the seats are tarped off and so many of the fans of OSM and the active supporting fans just don't have the same motivation to attend games anymore because of these restrictions that are in place. The police uh, presence is more prominent in the stadiums, uh, the stadium security as well. So it's, it's a weird situation for Melbourne victory and it will be that way until at least the end of the season, perhaps go into next season as well. So these sanctions handed down by football Australia certainly are not like a slap on the wrist. They're, they're meaningful. And even if you look at the next couple of years, if Melbourne victory fans do something stupid again and they storm the pitch or they try and um, do something which, which the league doesn't like, then they've got a 10 point suspended sanction on, on their heads. So that means that Melbourne Victory will be deducted 10 points from their league table if their fans do something stupid, which sort of is is gives reason for the club to try and make sure that their fans aren't committing any, any crimes or aren't doing anything which might bring the club into disrepute once again. Yeah, uh, and of course also I think we should say that you know after all that happened, at least from what I've been reading, it feels like that event was basically sort of the end of the protests against the uh, grand finals yeah. decision because, uh, you know, it, it basically took all the attention away from the, the main issue at hand mm-hmm. and then obviously created this whole thing. But, uh, well, now it, it does seem that the grand finals will uh, go ahead in Sydney. Uh, totally. But, yeah, I think I think that's about it uh, for, for uh, our focus on victory. Just finally... Uh, Let's ha- let's have your predictions for the season. Where, where do you reckon they'll finish? Do you reckon they can make the top six? It's 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 a really good question because Melbourne victory have been so bad for this whole season. But one result in the A League makes a massive difference. So winning tonight, they're only four points away from finishing top six. And if you look, there's rumours that they're signing a new centre back, a new foreign centre back, Damien De Silva, who was recently playing at Olympic Lyonnais. He could make a difference. Um, the club's likely in the market for another attacking player now that they've lost D'Agostino and Nani did his ACL. If he comes in as well, then you've got a new attacker. You've got 
a, a foreign defender with really good pedigree, maybe they could make that leap into into the top six. Personally, I can't see it happen though. I think this this season is just been such a tough one for Melbourne Victory, both on and off the park, that I think Victory will finish just outside the six, maybe eighth or ninth. I think their results will improve, um, but I don't think they'll be able to bridge the gap into the top six. And then in terms of the team, best teams in the comp, I think Melbourne City are so far ahead as the best team in the A-League that no team will actually be able to catch them. They're brilliantly coached. They've got brilliant players like Matthew Leckie, Jamie McLaren, um, Valon Barisha, Thomas Lam, Jordan Boss. They're a really good team overall, and I can't see any team beating them to the Premier's plate. And then during finals, it's a bit of a Russian roulette, but even still, I can't really see them losing a knockout game. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. I guess for what it's worth, it's worth maybe saying that uh, uh, 538's prediction model says uh, victory have a 35% chance of making the playoffs. So, well, certainly not favourites. And, and City have a 90% chance of finishing first. So I guess the the models back you up. Uh, but yeah, thank you very <laughs> much uh, for your time, Tom. Really, really appreciate the time and uh, your insight. Uh, and of course, we, we'll be chatting about uh, our other topics on the board in a bit. Thank you. No, thanks so much. Really appreciate you getting me on. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, that was a great chat uh, with Tom. Uh, but now we've got uh, lots of other stuff to cover as we discussed. Uh, let's start with a few couple of uh, midweek games. A big one in Greece on Monday. Uh, we've, we've spoken of uh, Panathinaikos on this podcast before. But now they've lost their lead uh, at the top of the Greek Super League. I believe on the other side of the World Cup break, they had an eight-point uh, lead. And now it's all gone. Uh, on Monday, they lost uh, to Asteras Tripolis uh, 1-0. Uh, they had a player sent off about half an hour in Panathinaikos, their captain actually, uh, and and then they 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 looked decent, but uh, they conceded, and and of course after that, it didn't really look likely that they could come back, so that saw them drop two points behind IAK at the top of the table, uh, and then just behind them, Pauk and Olympiakos are there and thereabouts too. So uh, we we do have quite a good title race in the Super League on our hands. But for Panathinaikos, uh, the other side of the World Cup break has just been horrible. I think they've dropped points in uh, six uh, league fixtures since then. They're winless in four now. They've also been uh, dumped out of the cup by Pauk. Uh, so they really need to get their act together. Uh, let's also quickly go over to France. Um, on Monday, Alex was mentioning uh, some league de results. Uh, and uh, he was talking about Le Havre who uh, were playing Bordeaux. So it was a battle uh, between the top two in Ligue 2. Uh, Le Havre did score first, uh, but then uh, Bordeaux were able to equalize. And then late on, uh, they scored a winner, Le Havre. So now they have amassed a 10-point lead at the top of the table. Uh, Bordeaux are on 36 points, um, and as are Sochaux. But Sochaux have a goal difference advantage. So Sochaux have climbed up to second. Of course, this season in league does just two teams going up because uh, the top division, Ligue 1, will be trimmed down to 18 sides. So uh, there's a whole world of difference between second and third. Uh, and it, that battle looks really interesting. Of course, Lavre quite clear at the top. And it looks, for, it looks I mean, it'll, it'll take quite something for them to miss out on promotion now. But uh, for, down from Sochaux, to seventh place Grenoble, just a three-point gap. So that's definitely going to be a very exciting race. And uh, Alex also mentioned at the other end of the table, uh, Saint-Etienne, who have lost yet again. This time it was 2-0 against Bastia. So they remain 19th, four points from safety. Of course, they have a three-point deduction as well, uh, which uh, is included in their points tally uh, for one of their uh, Liga matches last season, which was uh, interrupted by the fans. Uh, storming the pitch. And uh, speaking of Liga, a record broken uh, in the week. Not a sort of record you'd like to break though because Angers have lost nine consecutive games now. They're they're absolutely rooted to the bottom of this uh, table. They're facing uh, fellow relegation battlers, uh, Ajaxio, who were 18th going into the match. Angers scored first, uh, pretty fairly early on. They were at home, of course. Uh, Took the lead, uh, but then in the second half, it it all unraveled. just about after the hour mark, there's an equalizer. Uh, close to the 80th minute, Angers had a player sent off thanks to VAR. And then they conceded uh, in the fourth minute of stoppage time. So it, it, they, they were close to ending at least that run of defeats. But it's a, re- a league on record, nine straight defeats for Angers. As I said, the bottom of the table, 
10 points from safety, uh, 11 points from safety, actually, uh, and five points from the closest side above them. And, uh, well, th this would be the greatest of great ex escapes if they can pull it off, but it, it's, it's really not looking likely at the moment. Um, we also had a, a few cup fixtures, a couple of upsets, a uh, couple of interesting results. Uh, one of them was uh, Newcastle United reaching their first final since the turn of the century. Uh, Rafael has been, of course, following them this season. So, wh what do you think, Rafael? Yeah, um, I have been following this season. I've been a big fan of this Newcastle side this season. Um, I've been an even bigger fan of Eddie Howe's progression as a manager. I think not just as a coach, but as a manager as a whole, how he's how he's been a, a symbol of the of a of a club this season, as he has been with Newcastle. Um, yeah. As you said, they've made it to the final, the first final in 24 years. And I don't think they would have wanted to make it in any better way than they did uh, against uh, Southampton on, uh, was it Monday? Monday? Uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, must be. Tuesday. It's been yeah, a long so week, hasn't it? Yeah. It's, been, yeah it's, been <laughs> a, it's been an extremely long week. Yeah, so they made it on Tuesday. Um, They obviously announced Anthony Gordon and Harrison Hashby from West Ham and Everton, respectively. John Joe Shelby left to Nottingham Forest as well. So they didn't do a lot in the transfer window, but they didn't have to do a lot because as you've seen with Newcastle this season, and as you've seen against them um, on Tuesday against Southampton, the way they are as a team, the way they are as a unit, it, it's incredible to watch. Sean Longstaff, the home, the hometown boy born in Newcastle, apparently he was born eight minutes away from the stadium, scored a brace, um, to, to 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 take a very early lead actually in that game, under the lights of St James's Park, and then in the second half, as they've loved doing, um, all season long, grinding out the result, grinding out the win, and they're through to a cup final at Wembley. Obviously, I'm sure they would have wanted to do it without Bruno Gomes getting a red card, who is now going to be out in the next three games in the league, not in the cup, so he will be available for that final, um, barring any injuries. And yeah, cup final against United, two teams who haven't won a trophy for quite some considerable time now. And uh, I think it's going to be a really fun cup final to watch from a neutral point of view, but also for both teams. And yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, still some time for that. When is that? That's usually uh, February yeah, end, isn't 26, it? The 26th, yeah. Yeah, 26th, yeah. So we've still got a few weeks. Uh, and as I said, some other cups going on as well. Over in Italy, Coppa Italia, uh, Cremonese was still winless in the league. But the, the, I don't know, I don't know how, what they do in the cup, man. But there is just a completely different side. Uh, they eliminated Napoli last time out. This time, traveled to Rome to face Roma, and they won two one. Um, and well, I, I have to say, it was a, I mean, it was a pretty deserved win too. They they were certainly in the first half the better side. Uh, of course, Roma were uh, looked quite off it. Uh, but Cremonese took the lead from the penalty spot through Cyril Dessers early on in the second half and own goal from Zeki Celic made it 2-0 for them. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Roma pushed hard for uh, uh, four goals after that, but, but they could only get one back uh, deep into stoppage time. So, uh, Cremonese never really looked likely uh, of uh, l losing or, or, well, uh, taking the game to extra time. So uh, that's 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 the Coppa Italia quarterfinal that they've won, which means they're through to the semi-finals for just the second time in their history, uh, first time since 1987, uh, and and they're facing Fiorentina, who who have looked uh, better uh, lately, but they but they're down in uh, the bottom half of the league table. They're twelfth, uh, so it, it's it's not the Fiorentina side who um, achieved, of course, Europa Conference League qualification last season. So I mean. You know, if if they beat Napoli uh, and Roma, you, you you I mean you you wouldn't put put this past them. But of course, that will be a two-legged tie. So uh, Fiorentina will have a good deal of time uh, to respond if they go back. But of course, th that's a fair. I think that's actually a couple of months away. So a, a lot can change in that time. Uh, over in Germany, where the DFB Pokal uh, among the matches were uh, the the first ever cup tie, I believe. Uh, between Union Berlin uh, and Wolfsburg. And it was Union who won uh, by two goals to one. Uh, a really impressive performance from them, I have to say. They, they look uh, 
uh, after, uh, since the World Cup, you know, before the World Cup break, it looked like they were maybe just running out of steam. But but since the break, they've looked a lot better. Wolfsburg did score first, just five minutes in, but Union quickly equalized, uh, and then uh, close close to the 80th minute, uh, substitute Kevin Behrens uh, scored the win, uh, the the eventual winner. Uh, Jérôme Roussillon, of course, formerly off Wolfsburg, came on. Uh, I th- I think in the last minute, basically, and the only thing he really did was uh, get forward. Uh, on a counter attack, uh, beat the beat the keeper, and he basically had an open goal to aim for. But there was one defender in in his way, and he managed to hit the defender. But 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 there was a a lovely, uh, I I think it, was it from the Wolfsburg? Uh, uh, sorry, the official Union account. I, I tweet with a video where they first showed the miss, and then. After the game, while they were celebrating with the fans, uh, the Union players basically recreated the situation uh, a- and, of course, uh, made him score this time. So uh, that was nice to see. Uh, let's move on. Over, over in Spain, uh, of course, we spoke of Valencia on Monday. Uh, Gennaro Gattuso was sacked. And uh, his, re- his replacement uh, is, will be no surprise to anyone who's been following Valencia for a while. It's none other than Voro, who started his eighth spell uh, as, as a interim or caretaker manager of Valencia. He's, he's been doing this since 2008. Whenever someone gets sacked, they call Voro. He studies the ship and then he heads off again. Uh, of course, he, he does have a, a, a backroom role, which he usually plays, but yeah, it's now this is eighth time in uh, charge of Valencia. Of course, he, he as a player, he came through their academy, made close to 250 appearances for the senior team before moving on. So very much a one-club man, uh, it seems. Uh, and, uh, well, of course, they lost 2-0 to Real Madrid. You, you wouldn't have expected much else. They're just one point above the relegation zone. Uh, but, but, but if you look at the table, they're not anywhere near it because that's how tight things are at the bottom of La Liga. So, so they are 14th. Uh, and of course, 18th downwards is the relegation zone. But from Cardiff uh, to f- 14th, everyone is on 20 points basically. Uh, Cardiff on 19, sorry. And then even above them, uh, Girona and Sevilla are on 21. And then Almeria in 11th are just 22. So it's it's three points basically uh, from the from the side highest in the bottom half of the table, Almeria, down to the relegation zone. And Getafe are also on 17 points. So you know they win one game. They're right in that. Um, mix as well. So, we've got a, an incredible relegation battle on our hands in La Liga. A couple of other results, let's see. Uh, in, in Portugal, there were some league fixtures. A uh, big one was Sporting against uh, Braga, and Sporting actually thrashed Braga. 5-0. Uh, they, they were 8 points behind them in the table going into this fixture. Uh, so, the gap's down to f- uh, 5 now. Uh, Porto have overtaken Braga uh, up to second after this result. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, Braga switched tactically to a back uh, back three to match Sporting's three four three, but it, it it didn't quite work out for them. Clearly, uh, they, they they didn't really look good on the ball, uh, and then their defending wasn't always the best either. Uh, Hidemasa Morita uh, scored a brace for Sporting, an early opener in the eighth minute, and then after some disastrous defending from Braga, literally seconds into the second half, he got his second. And then Braga had a player sent off for a second yellow card. And, and after that, uh, well, everyone knew what the result would be. And finally, I just want to mention, uh, I, I, I was just watching a bit of Polish football uh, this week because the fixtures, uh, fixture timings were good. Uh, and I, I just found this uh, fun fact about, uh, I was watching a match with Krakowia at home and, and I saw this TIFO uh, with uh, the, the, the home fans uh, had brought, which had basically a, like a sort of a team photo uh, with the player faces basically in black and white and then a date uh, from 1921 there and then obviously I googled what, what that was and it turns out that Krakowia won the first ever uh, National Polish League title in, in the season which started in 1921 so I thought that was a fun bit of trivia which I learned thanks to, the, thanks to their fans, uh, TIFO, so thanks to them for that and also uh, in the in, in Polish football, another big event this week was uh, Jagiellonia getting their Facebook page back after it was hacked in October. 
and someone changed the profile photo and then it was, it was all sort of stuff going on uh, but, but uh, the, 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 they tweeted that they got it back uh, so well they're back on Facebook if anyone's uh, still on there but if anyone's still on there then I mean what are you doing is 2023 uh, but anyway um, over in Greece um, some some big news is that the second tier uh, has uh, the Super League 2 has been suspended indefinitely uh, th- this is what I got from uh, the Hellas Football Podcast Twitter, who, who say that uh, after a meeting uh, within the federation, probably uh, the 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 price money, uh, the 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 betting tax, which is a, a sort of I suppose uh, prize money which they get for the competition, a part sorry participation price which they get, ha- has been cut down from about two hundred and fifty thousand euros. Uh, last season, down to just seventy thousand. Of course, is the total uh, that uh, is split between the teams. But from they've gone from two fifty thousand to just seventy thousand, and of course, the teams are protesting this massive cut. Uh, and it it seems that uh, in doing so, the second tier will be suspended indefinitely. So so that's one to watch. Of course, I, I I'm not uh, sure as to what exactly the situation is here, but uh, whatever I see, I will be sure to keep you guys posted. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's about it for the week's matches uh, and results and news, basically. Uh, now it's time to look ahead to the weekend. So uh, let's start in Germany, uh, in 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 the Zweite Bundesliga, where Ben has an interesting fixture for us. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't follow uh, the two Bundesliga, the Die Zweite, it's um, really intense every single season, both the promotion battle and the relegation battle. A lot of times you see two groups of, you see the, the, a group of bad teams and a group of great teams. Um, it is really fun to watch. We have a really, really, really tasty picture coming up. We have Greuther Foot is playing uh, FC Nuremberg. So these are fierce rivals. Their stadiums are like 12 kilometers away. Um, so it's, they're both right in that, that Nuremberg area. So it's a huge battle between not just two rivals, but also two teams in this relegation battle. So Greutherford, those of you who might remember, they were, um, the right word might be abysmal in uh, the, you know, the, the Erste Bundesliga last year. So they didn't win for something like 150 days or whatever. They were winless for an insane amount of time. They finally did get a win a couple months ago. They've actually been pretty decent since they went from being like pretty much rock bottom. Now they're actually in the relegation battle, relegation battle, as opposed to being relegation favorites. So they're in 11th with 20 points and then Nuremberg are in 13th with 19 points. So they're, they're close rivals. Their stadiums are close. The points are close. And what's more interesting, this is going to be go beyond bragging rights, go beyond rivalries. 18th place. This is the, the, the bottom place team in the league has 11 points. Or I'm sorry, has 18 points. Um, no, I'm, I'm so sorry. They have a, a, a 17 points. I'm sorry, 17 points, and up in ninth place is 21 points. We have four points between ninth place and 18th place. That's half the league. That is half the league. There's only four points between them. So there's one point between these two teams that are about to play, but it's so much more than just the rivalry. It's so much more in this game. The relegation battle is between half of the entire league. So then between ninth place, Hansa Rostock, and eighth place, Holstein Kiel, is seven points. I'll let that sink in. It's so condensed for those nine teams at the bottom, right? So give this game a watch. Uh, if you can't watch it, give it a follow. Make sure you're you're tracking. The league in general is just really fun, but this game particularly is, uh, I think it's these are the two biggest rivals that are in this bottom half of the table. So um, definitely it's the biggest game that they have uh, going again the season. If either, whichever team wins this, if either can win it, is going to set them up for, I don't I don't want to call it success because it's you know it's Vita, but it's going to set them up good because it's going to be a win in their books um really really going to be something interesting to follow yeah I mean it's the best league in the world by far so if, if you're not sure oh absolutely yeah I don't know what you're doing uh but, but but let's move on to perhaps a bigger league uh in Europe uh I'm talking about Serie A where there's also a big derby this week uh, and Rafael's uh got us covered on that. What what have you to say, Rafael? Yes, the Milan derby. Um, yeah, despite the um probably substantial drop off from both teams this season, with Napoli running away with it, which kind of uh, how do you say takes a shine off the attractiveness of this league that was so bright last season. 
Um, but still, this is one of the biggest games in world football. It definitely is one of the biggest games in Italy. So, yeah, it will be a must-watch on the weekend. Uh, Inter sits second in the league, uh, despite them winning the last four. The last five, they've won the last, they've won four of the last five, actually. They're still kind of giving this air of feeling of they're not as good as the results convey. Um, we've seen in the Super Cup win against Milan, despite how dominant that was, there were still times in that game when they were being caught in transition from the likes of Rafael Leal. And they could have conceded if it wasn't for Andrea Onana or if it wasn't from a last stage block from Stefan De Rio or Milan Skriniar. But yeah, talking about Milan Skriniar, it was actually announced this week on deadline day, no matter, um, that he will be joining PSG in the summer for free. So that's not what Inter fans want to hear, especially considering the 13 points of the title. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a blow for them because Milan Skriniar is one of the captains there. He's been a big leader for the last couple of years, but he's been an even bigger player for them, a reliable player. And for him to leave for free is just a huge blow. For Milan, they sit uh, sixth. Post World Cup, they've only lost, they've only won one of the last six games. They're winless in the last seven. Uh, they're just, they're just on, they're just on horrific form. It, it's actually, it's actually an understatement to say it's horrific how poor it's in. The rumors have come out about Pioli's job. Maldini's had to come out and deny them rumors. Uh, Rafael Leal's agency denied any kind of rumors of him going to City or Paris Saint-Germain. But it's quite clear um, that he's probably going to have to leave in the summer, not just um, from the fact that he's probably going to want to contend in the Champions League and also domestically at a higher level, but also financially, Milan are going to need the money with his contract running down and him still yet to sign an extension. But yeah, I think both teams are going into this with a point to prove. They've still got to show that they've still got that quality like it was two seasons ago, into one league and Milan won it the year before. And to think a year before, a year ago, Milan were on their way to their first Cadetto in like 10 years. Now they're 15 points off the table and battling for top four with Jose Mourinho's Roma and Lazio. Uh, but yeah, Saturday, 7.45 GMT, it'd be an interesting game. Um, I probably would say into the favourites, but. Milan have shown in these games, well, in the past, maybe not this season, that they can still pull off a result. They've got great players. They've got some of the best players in the league, and Pioli has shown that he can get them clicking again if they're on our side. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, both sides will have their Champions League knockouts campaigns. They've both qualified, so both of those will be starting uh, in later in February, so... Uh, a fine time to get the act together, I'd say. But I, th- I think let's let's move away from Europe now because we've got a few big games uh, elsewhere in the world. Uh, Ben's got something from uh, Brazil. Yes, so uh, Brazil right now, um, the, the the National League finished up a little bit ago. We're now at the very beginning of the new year, so we're into the, the regional state competitions, uh, which are always fun because you have a lot of states in Brazil, and then you have teams from the first tier, second tier, third tier, etc., all playing in these competitions. It's really fun to watch. Um, we have a really big one uh, in, in Upalista, the Campeonato Paulista. We have Palmeiras is playing Santos, and they are two of the, those are both Brazilian clubs. They're two of the biggest teams in the nation they're two of the most successful teams in the nation um these games are always uh intense this is uh it's it is a rivalry to some extent uh, uh for those of you that don't know Santos is outside of sao paulo they're they're quite a bit outside on the coast as opposed to inland the city uh so their rivalries can be a little bit less intense with some of the teams in sao paulo but this is still uh, it's o classico da saudade so it's uh, uh the nostalgia derby um really going to be a, a tasty fixture so in this right now I mean Palmeiras are definitely the the best team in Brazil I'd say right now they just won the league uh they've won two of the last three um they've been a really consistent team as well I think and that that's difficult to get in Brazil but for the past several years they've been pretty consistent um so it will be really fun to watch them because they're unbeaten right now in this this state competition versus uh Santos who only have one win 
in, in so far in this, this state competition. So I'm excited for this. Um, it's a really big match against two teams right now that are that are in the the top division, but are at different even different ends of their group table within the state competition. So should be interesting to to follow this game. Yep, uh, it definitely will be. Uh, there's also some, some a big game in Africa. Uh, we've of course spoken about the African Nations Championship uh, previously, and we finally reached uh, the final. Uh, it features uh, Algeria, the hosts, who beat uh, United five nil in the semi-final. So a very convincing win. A win uh, against Senegal, who uh, got the better of uh, Madagascar one nil. So th that's the that's the final. Of course, uh, Nigeria and Madagascar will play in the third place playoff or the bronze final, as they call it. I think that's today, actually. Uh, and then uh, Friday, that is. Uh, and then Al Algeria, Senegal, the final is tomorrow, something like 7.30 p.m. Uh, UTC. Uh, so definitely, I think, pr pretty watchable in most time zones. Uh, east of sorry west of east asia i guess um so yeah that'll be a very interesting game to watch uh, we'll we'll of course we'll probably have a deeper dive on the tournament as a whole and indeed the final hopefully next week uh and we'll talk more about that then uh let, let's also quickly mention a game in asia and this one's one i'm ex uh, quite excited to hear because it's from my country uh, and and men's got something from the indian super league yes the uh, indian super league so um Right, so we have Mumbai City are playing Hyderabad FC. Uh, these are the top two teams in the league, and Mumbai City are uh, unbeaten after 16 games. They have 13 wins and three draws, so they are um, they're really chugging right along. Uh, on on their team badge is a train. They really are full steam ahead this season. Um, Hyderabad are second. They're they're seven points behind them. Uh, it's it's just. So Mumbai City ha have been so good and can win by four or five, six goals. It seems like any game they could they could trounce anyone four nil. The past three games, two of them they've only won by one goal. This last game they played, I believe, they had to score two very late goals to win. So they were very close to losing for the first time. To the first time, um, I, I'm not sure who I would say to win. I think Mumbai City are the easy pick to win. It will be a really interesting game to watch because it is the two best teams right now in the league. Um, it's Mumbai City are the best team. I, they're playing they're the part of city football group and they're really showing that they are uh, i guess that's how we would put it so um, make sure you follow this result i i think mumbai city are going to win but it is it is they've shown some uh weaknesses recently they've shown some some ability to to maybe not get that 4-0 victory so uh yeah follow along and, and see if Hyderabad can give mumbai city their first loss this season yep definitely will be a very exciting game that's that's tomorrow i think noon utc so uh earlier than most of the big European matches. So if anyone wants to tune in, and I think the ISL is free to watch on One Football all over the one world. One Football, yep, has all the all matches live. World, right? Except it's India. really good times for in terms of watching it. Yep, so, I mean, put it on early in the morning, I suppose. Uh, and of course, we should also mention that uh, the Indian Super League format is such that uh, obviously the side that finishes first wins uh, the ISL Shield, but the, the trophy they're all really competing for uh, like to win the league, uh, you also have to go through playoffs, uh, and the f the top six qualify for that uh, this season. So w while this is of course going to be an important uh, match, uh, the 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 proper title battle will be uh, at the end of the season. Well, I think that's about it for all the fixtures we have to look forward to this weekend. Of course, there's tons and tons more as well, which we haven't mentioned, but. Uh, if if there's any big results, uh, interesting results, upsets, whatever, as ever, we will be onto them on Monday. Uh, but now we've got loads of transfers to discuss, uh, so let's start doing that. If you're listening on the free feed, uh, the rest of this episode, uh, part two, is available on Patreon. Uh, we've put the link to that down in the description. Uh, so if you're able to, if you can, uh, please do head over to Patreon uh, and subscribe, uh, and you can listen. Uh, to part two of this episode as well as all, all the future friday episodes uh, which will be on there uh, but if not thank you very much for joining us uh, for this episode uh, and we'll see you on monday uh, when we recap the weekend's pictures <laughs>